What is the best trip you've ever been on? I don't mean the best destination you've been to. The trip, the journey there. For me, my fondest traveling memories are uh, when I would uh, travel out west going to Colorado with my friend Todd. This is when I was on staff with a college campus ministry, and we would go out there every few years for, for training. Um, and so we'd drive across the country, uh, listening to the radio, uh, listening to sermons and uh, talking and chatting, praying together, uh, just enjoying the, the things that we were seeing, stopping to play disc golf from time to time. Uh, it, was a, it was a great time, uh, sh- sharing the driving responsibilities, being able to see the Rockies coming from, uh, at you from the distance. If I were to venture a guess, your favorite trips and journeys uh, didn't involve a lot of fighting and bickering, noise and craziness, somebody in the back harping on you because of how you're driving. You're getting too close to that car, too close to the side of the road, or you took a wrong turn or you're going too fast, or hearing a bunch of whining and fighting in the back seat. You're too close to me, or that's, you stink, or you quit breathing on me. He ate all of my snacks. Or arguing with the person beside you the whole way, not being able to just, you can't wait until you could get out of the car and just away from them. You've been stuck in here together for too long. You see, the the journeys and trips that we enjoy are those that involve calm, quiet, Enjoying the presence of those that you're traveling along with. This morning we are going to be in uh, Psalm 131. Uh, This is a a section of the Psalms that are called the Psalms of Ascent. Uh, In between, uh, I usually preach from a book in the New Testament and then we hop to a a book in the Old Testament. We're going to be going to 1 Samuel here in a few weeks. But in, the, in, in between time, we hop into uh, some psalms. And these psalms of ascents uh, were uh, psalms that were used by the people of God, and particularly as they would journey to Jerusalem for their various times of, of worship to gather in the presence of their God. And it's as they're journeying, anticipating, hoping, and looking forward to meeting and being in the presence of their God that they would sing these psalms. To begin to prepare and shape their hearts, for them to understand uh, who they are as God's people, and, and, and to shape and form not just how they're journeying on this one particular journey, but viewing the entire life of following our God as a journey. Same thing applies to us. We're not journeying to the earthly Jerusalem. We're awaiting the, the, the Jerusalem from above to come as God renews and restores all things. And we will live and gather with God and his people here on this renewed and restored earth forever. So it's as we are on that journey that these psalms can help inform and shape our hearts, our lives, and how we journey along in the Christian life as we look forward to and anticipating meeting with our God. Psalm 131, very short, the shortest of the psalms of ascent. Uh, But as one preacher said, it's very short to read, uh, but it takes a lifetime to to get right and apply in your life. 
Uh, we're going to see David is beginning to talk. He's, he's talking about uh, uh, what it, it looks like to have a, a journey that is calm and quiet. And as we look at it, after I, I read it, we'll see uh, David points us to two barriers to a calm and quiet journey. And then he shows us the source of a calm and quiet journey. So let's look here together at Psalm 131. If you're following along in one of the black Bibles there in your seats, this is on page uh, 519. We're looking at uh, 131, all, all three verses there. So follow along with me as we hear from the Word of God. A song of ascents of David. O Yahweh, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in Yahweh from this time forth and forevermore. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you continue to speak to your people. Uh, we pray and ask that this morning as we dig into this psalm together that you would show us and enable us to walk quietly and calmly with and before you. Uh, for the glory of Christ we pray. Amen. Uh, so first, uh, David's, we're going to way we'll break it up is looking at two barriers to this calm and quiet journey and then see the, the source and how we get to journeying calmly and quietly. Uh, so uh, the, the first barrier that we see to this calm and quiet journey, as David points it out to us, is, is pride. Look in the first half of verse 1. O Yahweh, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised to high. And this language of, uh, of, a, of a heart being lifted up or, or eyes being raised uh, too high is, is language, figurative language that's describing pride, arrogance, selfishness. How does, does pride and arrogance, how does that uh, prevent us from experiencing calm and quiet how does it bring in craziness and noise as we journey along before our God? Well, think about it. Think about what pride does in your heart. When you're thinking and you're focused just on yourself, you are supreme. That means everyone else that you're journeying along with, they're a threat. They're a threat to your happiness. They're a threat to your significance. They're a threat uh, to your satisfaction in this world. Uh, and, and so when you begin to see them uh, thriving or flourishing, you begin to envy them. Your heart begins to get stirred up. Maybe you begin to, in your, in your head, the noise begins to, to arise. You're not calm anymore. You're getting agitated. You begin to get angry at them, criticizing them. Uh, because the only way you can begin to feel better about yourself when you see others thriving is to begin to point out how they're wrong and how they're not measuring up because then you can begin to look 
better in your own eyes. Uh, Maybe uh, another way that we see uh, the noise uh, and the lack of calm flood into our hearts and our minds when we're filled with with pride is uh, when we're focused on what we deserve. We're focused on what we deserve, and that draws our attention to those who aren't giving me what I deserve. I can't go along easily and calmly on this journey, because don't you know what you owe me? The respect, the honor, the care, that promotion? Why are you talking to me like that? Why are you looking at me like that? And so when we're, we're not getting what we think that we uh, deserve, we begin to demand it. And the more that people begin to resist it, it may begin, bring in more, uh, more arguments. We begin to judge them, and then it can end up resulting in punishing through our words of screaming and yelling out in the car, in the house. Maybe you punish by, uh, maybe it's not even with, with your words, but you begin to distance yourself and, and, uh, and, and emotionally push people out. Maybe you go to the full extent of violence, even murder on the journey because of what we're not getting, what we want. We judge them, we punish them because we don't have what we know we deserve. You see, when our hearts and our minds are filled with pride, there's not calm on the journey because we're not content. We always want more. We want more uh, stuff. We want more respect. We want more of what everybody else has. We're not content with what God has given us. We're not content with where we are. We want to be somewhere else. I don't want to be where you have me in my life right now, God, with this person with these friends, on this street, in this job, in this church. And so we can't calm and uh, in a quiet way go along on this journey. We're so focused and consumed with wanting to look good in others' eyes that we're focused on how they perceive us, how they respond to us. Uh, we always, because we, uh, we are, are insecure in who we are, in our pride and our arrogance, we're always looking at, uh, what is that person wearing today? Or how did they respond? Or did I do better than them on this fitness test? Or did I outrun them on the soccer field today? And looking for ways of how I can diminish and put them down for the way they look or they perform because it's all about me and I can't calmly move along in this journey of life with these other brothers and sisters in Christ because this pride is consuming my heart and the noise gets louder and the anxiety builds up and the worry, and the burden, and the pressure, and my stomach, and my heart, and it's all grinding, and grinding, and grinding. You don't have the freedom to acknowledge that you're wrong. You can't admit you're wrong, because that destroys the pride, and the the view of yourself that you have. And so, when anybody points anything out, you respond harshly, and defensively, and want to put them in their place. And show them how actually it was you who were wrong. Thank you very much. No calm. No quiet. There can be a flip side, though, to pride. Sometimes in its, uh, uh, this, we, we think it sounds like uh, humility, but really it's self-shame and ridicule. 
Uh, and so when, when we're maybe consumed with our sin or our, our struggles or our problems in our, in our life, uh, we, uh, we can't be calmed by anyone who communicates and speaks to us of the, the forgiveness and the love of our God. Because in our pride, our sin is too great. Our shame is, is too big to overcome. And so we cannot be calmed down because of what pride is doing and twisting and distorting the way that we hear and the way that we respond. We think that we may be outside of God's redemptive power. But we also can't listen. We can't listen to anybody else's struggles. Because don't you realize, I don't have time for your petty problems. Why are you bringing so much noise into my life and into my journey? Don't you realize my problems are bigger than yours? Why don't you quiet down and listen to what I have to say about maybe what you've done to me or what this other person has done? And we talk and we talk and we talk and we fill up everything about us and our struggles and we can't listen to anyone else because of the noise and the noise and the noise. Sometimes, though, instead of seeing pride as a barrier to this calm and this quiet, we see it actually as a, as a, a solution. Uh, it may come across like this. Maybe as a kid, you had this idea. Um, as you notice that the, the, the journey and the trip, everybody's always bickering and fighting, and so you have this great suggestion for your parents. How about you get every single one of us a tablet? Then, as we're driving down the road, we're not arguing and bickering and fighting because we all get to watch exactly what we want to watch. Quiet, calm, the problem solved. Is it? What happens when your battery runs out before your brothers and sisters does, and then you get mad because they're getting to, ready, they're getting to watch more than you are? You see, it, it, it masks calm and quiet, pride does sometimes, but really it's not dealing with the deeper issues of the heart. Or maybe you think, you know what? You know who the problem is? You know who's creating all the noise and the craziness? It's just all these other people. I'd be better off by myself. If I left this church, if I left this marriage, if I left these relationships and I tr journeyed and I traveled by myself, then it would be calm. Then it would be quiet. Then it would be at ease. No, the scriptures say no. Pride may offer that, but what the Psalms are telling us and what David is telling us and showing us is that pride is in fact a barrier to experiencing calm and quiet as we journey this life walking before our God. We'll get to the solution to pride later, but first David points out another barrier to calm and quiet journey, and it's mistrust. How calm and quiet and enjoyable are journeys and trips you've been on when you don't trust the driver? When you see the way that they're driving, uh, and, and you're not, you, you would say in your heart, I'm not being critical, they just can't drive. And I feel like I am taking my life into my hands every time I set foot in their car. It's immediately you get tense, you want to buckle the seatbelt, 
you, uh, you, you're in your mind, you may even, it may even blurt out of your mouth as you're criticizing and calling them out for how they're driving and what they're not doing. Uh, you may question the route you're going because you know a, a faster way there. You know a more scenic path that you could go on. Uh, you, you, you know a safer route. We always get stuck in traffic this way. Why are you going that way? You think that it would be better and safer and you would feel uh, much more at ease if you were in the driver's seat, if you were the one who was controlling and driving. David here tells us that mistrust is actually a barrier to a calm journey with our God. Uh, you see, this, this shows itself in the hearts of God's people. Uh, think about the, the epic journey of the Old Testament, the exodus out of Egypt. When God delivers and redeems his people, he saves them out of Egypt. And where does God take them? Through the Red Sea and into the wilderness. Who is leading these people? Why are we out here? What are we going to eat? It's hot. We don't have enough. Did you bring us out here to die? We would be better off if we turned back around and went the other way. I'm not going to move forward until you explain what you're doing, God. The grumbling, the complaining, the noise, the anxiety, the worry is building up. Why? They don't trust God. They don't trust where he's leading them. They don't trust the map and the navigation and the path that he's taking them on. Notice what David says in the second half of verse 1. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. The things too great and too marvelous that he's talking about here are God's plan, God's purposes, God's prerogatives, or to put it in journey language, his itinerary, his route, the speed at which he is taking us. David is saying that, 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 that sometimes what begins to bring in uh, an attitude and a heart of being uncomfortable on the journey, of anxiety, of worry, of fear, of anger, is when we occupy ourselves and our hearts on these things that are too marvelous and too great for us. It begins to consume our mind, consumes our emotions, we're not talking here about having questions. There's actually other psalms that we can look at that would give us uh, language to articulate our questions and asking God about what's going on. What David is talking about here is questioning God, challenging his wisdom, challenging his goodness, challenging his care. It's saying, I know better than you. And my life would be better off if I was in the driver's seat. Thank you very much. Why in the world did you bring me here? Do you not care about me? Do you not love me? You see, when we aren't in the driver's seat and we don't trust the one who is driving and leading it's hard to go on the journey in a calm and peaceful way. Think about Job. It's a guy we encounter just uh, the book before Psalms in the, in the scriptures. Job goes through a lot of, uh, of heartache and hardship. And early on, he's trusting in the Lord. 
But as the book moves on, Job's heart and his questions move to questioning. And then towards the end of the book, you see God challenging Job and pointing out to Job that, Job, you are occupying your mind with things that are too great and too marvelous for you. Were you there, Job, when I spoke the world into existence? Were you there when I brought forth light from darkness? Were you there when I created the seas and the creatures that swim and move in them? Were you there when I spoke and brought man into existence and provided all that he needed? Job's answer has to be no. We don't know the mind of our God. He is creator. We are creature. Does it not make sense that there's going to be things about his plan and his purposes that we don't understand? The question comes to it, do you trust him? Do you trust this God who hasn't just created the world? But if you are following Christ, he has made you a new creation. The God who spoke all things into existence took on flesh, entered into the world of his creatures, suffered and lived and died for him. Do you question his love for you? Do you question his goodness? Do you question the path he's taking you on? David received some great promises from God. David was a, a shepherd just out in the field with the sheep. And one day this old prophet shows up and anoints him as the king of Israel. You are going to lead the people of God, even though Saul is on the throne now. Guess how long that took? Guess what David's life was like from the point when he was anointed and given the promise to the point when he finally was seated on the throne? It was a long time. He experienced abuse. He experienced manipulation. He experienced hardship and trial and difficulty at the hand of the current king. When God had given him these promises. But what do we see and what will we see when we go through the book of 1 Samuel? David, in the midst of this craziness, in the midst of this chaos, in the midst when it doesn't look like God is ever going to fulfill his promises and that he was just lying. He walks with and he trusts and he depends upon his God. How do we get to a place of calm and quiet? Notice what David says. It's hope. Hope in our God. Look in verse 2 and 3. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in Yahweh from this time forth and forevermore. How do you get to a place of calm and quiet? You see, you see the solution to pride is dependence. The, the solution to mistrust is trust and resting in God. Here, what David is inviting us to is we were being invited and called to rest in the love and goodness and provision of our God. Notice the, the example that David gives. 
to be in a place where you are like a weaned child in the presence of your mother. Uh, think about a baby before it's, it's weaned. Uh, I mean, this, this seemed the case for, for some of our kids. Maybe you, you can't relate. Early on, they just seem to cry all the time. They're either crying or sleeping. They just want and want and want. And it wore Lindsay out, feeling like all she was doing is sleeping and feeding. But at, at some point, there comes a time when a baby is weaned, and the mother isn't viewed just as a source of what I can get from you and what you will give me and provide for me. But there's an, a, a comfort and an enjoyment of just being in the presence of the mother and her just being there, not giving you anything but herself. Have you ever seen that? Maybe you've worked in our nursery and a kid over there is just screaming their head off, bawling, because they don't understand why they've been left in this room. And you've tried everything that you can. You've walked with them. You've read them books. You've played trains with them. You've sung them songs. Nothing. But then one of the parents walks in. And as soon as they pick them up, the tears are gone. They're cut off. The screaming stops. They immediately are calm and restful and at peace because they know here is one who is now with me that I trust, that I recognize. I've seen that they've cared for me in the past, and it doesn't matter that I'm in this room that I don't like because I'm with them, and they will care for me, and they will love me. Here, David is inviting us God is speaking through David and inviting us to experience the journey like that. Where is calm and quiet found? It's in resting in our God, realizing and recognizing who he is as the good and gracious provider of the one who, even though you might not understand where he's leading you and why the journey has been so hard and why he has brought these hardships into your life and why he didn't steer you around them, even in the midst of all of that, you can find calm and quiet as you sit and enjoy the fact that he is present with you on the journey through it all. David only had a glim picture, a dim picture of this. Have we not seen more? Have we not seen more of the, the depth of the love and the care and the provision of what God will go through to be with his people. That he would take on flesh, enter into our world. The creator becomes a creature, suffering and dying the death we deserve that he might redeem and save us. How much does he love you? Enough to give his own son. How much does he love you? Enough to die for you. How much does he love you? Enough to use everything that you go through, the hard stuff and the good stuff on the journey for your good, which ultimately is that you would be conformed to the image of Christ. Do you trust him? Can you hope in him? Do you recognize and realize that what is most important is not what you can get from God, but God himself? Calm, quiet on the journey comes from resting in the presence 
of your good and gracious Heavenly Father who loves you and cares for you. Let's pray. Father, you know our struggles. You know how hard it is for us to calm and and quiet ourselves. How we go to all sorts of other things except to you. We pray that you would point us more and more to your character, to your goodness, to your faithfulness, to the sufficiency of Jesus and all that he has done for us. Our questions may still remain, but we ask that you would be, bring a calm and peace to our hearts, our lives, our souls, knowing that the one who is driving is the one who suffered and died and who rose and is returning for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.